Picture, if you will, three jackasses sitting at their computers talking about an old show from the 60s. Because they have nothing better to do, they will discuss its history and some of their favorite episodes. This is not Earth anymore. This is the Couch Blab TV Podcast. Hello, everyone, <laughs> and welcome to the Couch Blab TV Podcast, our first one ever. And today we're going to be talking with probably one of the greatest shows of all time, The Twilight Zone. Um, I'm your host, Ben Nelson, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I am Hope. I'm Tiffany. And today we're going to take a look at some of the most famous episodes from this series, kind of generally talk about the show in itself, and actually go over some of our particular favorite episodes from this iconic television show. Um, So basically, what Twilight Zone was, was an old show that started in the late 50s and went on through the 60s um, that was started by a man named Rod Serling. He's basically the narrator of the show and kind of the guy who introduces each episode at the beginning. Ah, uh, yes, God. Yep, he's basically the best character. I mean, everyone probably can recognize him just from him showing up in his voice. Uh, he kind of just shows up in the background for each episode and it's just like, hey, here's what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I kind of wish sometimes that the character in the episode would just turn around and be like, who are you? He kind of just stands there in the background. He starts narrating all the information, putting things down, and then, you know, introduces you to the Twilight Zone. And then the episode proceeds. Yeah. So what is The Twilight Zone? Well, it's a show that's basically a horror slash sci-fi kind of mystery show. Basically, it's like uh, an episode usually would refer to subject matter in the weird macabre fashion. It's It would tell a weird story with some usual unusual uh, imaginative twist usually to it. Uh, whether it be something that relates to... Um, war or politics or just general like stuff that would happen that was happening during the actual time of this show and kind of put it in a fantasy setting which is nothing new i mean usually most of all sci-fi follows this formula so but this is a really great example of it being very successful in doing that yeah you're absolutely right in fact rod sterling was generally known to be kind of one of those major people out in hollywood and television that was trying to pose a philosophical and social question with each one of these episodes, um, especially considering that most of his co- top, yeah, most of his topics deal with subjects such as you know like the Cold War, McCarthyism, um, racism, you know, sexism, and different areas of society that he felt like he wanted to take time to explain. Yeah, fantasy or not, basically, there's plenty of episodes through this entire show that anyone can enjoy, no matter what they are. There's ones that go weird out off the walls bananas with like characters and aliens that show up at points, or sometimes it's some of the most simpler stuff, or it's heartwarming even, a lot of them, which we'll get into. Um, so basically, let's start off just going by some over some general episodes of the series. Basically, these are episodes that essentially anyone and their grandma probably have at least seen once or even parodied a bunch of times throughout pop culture history. Um, but let's start off with probably the biggest one, one that actually won awards, believe it or not. Uh, Eye of the Beholder is probably considered the quintessential episode for the series. It's basically a woman who has her face bandaged uh, in a hospital and she's having surgery because throughout the entire episode, she basically says that, oh, her disfigurement will leave people like looking at her weird. And... They never show anybody's face in this episode, and you probably know where this is going, right? Uh, essentially, they at the end, we find out she unmoves the bandages, and she looks like a normal girl in the entire thing. But they say that the surgery failed. So what's going on? Twist time, people. They're all pig face people. Yeah, it basically poses the question of, like, you know, is what is beauty in the eye of the beholder? The people that are doing the surgery essentially are, you know, traditionally grotesque but in their world it's like beauty is essentially as we know it grotesque and so by about the end of the episode spoilers for a 50 year old tv show um another man approaches him and you know promises to take her to another land and basically states that beauty is in the by the beholder where they're going and so it kind of poses the question of you know you know body image social image 
you know, what exactly is beauty and, you know, how can we define that? So that's basically it for that episode. But let's get on to the next one. To Serve Man. Now, To Serve Man is the other big name one, basically because another alien type shows up in this episode and essentially everyone probably knows it from that which is the actually the actor who played lurch from the adams family dressed with a big forehead and is basically your quintessential tall alien that can speak to people through psychic powers him and his entire race apparently come to earth with a agreement to basically give everybody in the entire world shields so they can protect their own country and they basically cease all war on the planet and they all- even fix world hunger at one point well of course why would you want starving humans for what the twist is yeah i mean basically um him and his mild yard stare as he basically talks to people telepathically promise you know the society that you know we can fix all problems end all wars and to top it all off they even promise to take them out to their world to visit for basically kind of a tourism board and so as he you know starts to think more about it since he works for essentially the cia the main male character in the episode um, he starts to get kind of curious and think, huh, I feel like something isn't right here. Maybe we should start translating some of the stuff that they're bringing in order to find out the truth. His female friend who works in like a, almost like, what would you call that? Like uh decoding room or something uh basically she they the one of the aliens the lurch character um left a book laying on the table when at the meeting which you would think if this was their plan if they were trying to have some secret plan they wouldn't be so reckless of leaving a book there but apparently they do um she decodes only the front page front cover of the book which is called to serve man so people are like ah they just want to be helpful and so we get to the end where essentially Yep, it's a cookbook. It's a cookbook. Uh, that's so. Yeah, so basically the guy's being boarded on the ship before he has time to run, and they scream with the woman, his friend, basically yelling, It's a cookbook! Yeah, we basically find out that the humans are being herded for cattle, essentially, to kind of be the next, you know, entree for these alien races. Well, I mean, by that point, when he's on the ship, and, uh, you know, it cycles back to the beginning a little bit, like where he's. Um, like, where he's trapped on there, and all he can do is, like, um, eat and accept what's happened, because, like, by that point, the aliens have integrated themselves uh, so much that they really can't do anything to resist, so he just accepts his fate. Yeah, and I think that for both uh, t- um, To Serve Man and I Am the Beholder, you know, the different horror elements and kind of the subtlety that goes on for most of it until the big twist plays off really, really well. It's actually uh, Twilight Zone, one of their biggest strengths where they kind of like to build up slowly to it and then kind of hit you with the wall halfway through it. I mean, there's a big uh, element in the horror genre where, like, you can't fight the enemy you're facing. And um, and in and in this scene, like, you know, like, we, we know that the scenario is not real, but we can see that the characters, like, in To Serve Man and Eye of the Beholder, like, are just, like, utterly helpless to fight what's going on around them, and they just, in the end, yeah. accept the uh, new reality that poised around them. kind of goes over in horror and as well as in life that sometimes you can't really avoid what's happening to you. You kind of just have to be aware that it exists and see if there's, you know, hope for tomorrow. Yeah. So let's get on to the next episode, which is Time Enough at Last. Now, this one is definitely someone have people have always heard about because, first of all, it stars Ernest, um, uh, Burgess Meredith, uh, as this little glasses-wearing short guy who basically has an obsession to reading, where apparently this entire town gets mad at him for reading everywhere he goes and being distracted, whether it's at his job or his house, which I understand what they were trying to do like with that plot, but uh, some people can probably take this as a bit silly nowadays, like because obviously it's supposed to be for... Something like if if this episode was made today, it would obviously be about um, somebody on their iPhone or somebody. You damn kids always text. Yeah, or on their Game Boy or something anywhere, and it would probably make more sense. But they didn't have the technology obviously at the time, so books is all we got as a portable device of entertainment. Um, so I think that. Oh, yeah, just go go. So I think that essentially. With time enough at last, remember the first time that I watched it, you know, 
the big thing with him essentially reading books is kind of his main hobby. One of the drawaways I had from it was that, you know, nowadays, you know, we look at you know, somebody looks reads a lot of books or watches a lot of television, essentially someone that's a nerd or a geek. So I figured it was just them trying to criticize, you know, him being, you know, having obsessive interests like a lot of people do. But, I mean, if you put into the perspective of there is a scene where, like, he's sitting down and he's, like, reading while he's supposed to be working and they criticize him for it, it leans more towards taking an addiction too far rather than just simply criticizing someone for their interest. Yeah. Um, but then we get basically to the twist of that one where it's like he goes into this lock safe at his job or whatever and he gets locked inside of it. Um, by accident, but it basically shelters him from what essentially happens is a bomb goes off and blow the whole world's basically gone. It's uh, the apocalypse as we know it. And he finally gets out um, and basically finds that there's nothing left, no other humans around at all. And he basically even admits that he's like, well, he has nothing really to do. Like, he has plenty of food that have managed to survive in tin cans. Fig- Let's figure that one out from the amount of radiation. Uh, alone and plenty of like other stuff to mm-hmm. uh survive off of but he's like well what's he gonna do and then he finds out that a library survived and all these books are around so he's like yes now i have all the time in the world to read everything he wants and when he finally gets all of his collection done to begin reading sitting on the steps what happens he leans down and his glasses that he was wearing the whole time falls off and breaks and then he can't read because he can't see like it's not fair it's It's not fair Oh, I mean, like, there's not like an eyeglasses shop anywhere, like where he was. Like, this is an easily remedy remedied thing, but like, it's still for him really devastating. Yeah. We don't, we never know how bad his eyesight was. That's the thing. Yeah, it's, it's because usually when you go and get like eyesight checked and you go and get your glasses done, you know, he probably had them custom or something in order for him to be able to read, especially. You know, given the character and the size of those classes, I'd imagine it's, like, something atrocious. So, essentially, yeah, it'd be really difficult to replace those. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it does, like, I imagine he's pretty blind without them, but that always struck me as, like, a really big oversight. Like, because, you know, once you're there, like, there's nothing to stop you from going and uh, grabbing stuff off the shelf, you know, in order to help you along. And again, you do have all the time in the world to do that. Well, again, I think I think he basically had problems. Like, it was to a degree where he probably couldn't see that well. Because if you actually pay attention to the scene when he breaks glasses and he tries reaching down for them, it takes him a few seconds to actually grab his glasses because he's basically fumbling around for it like Velma from Scooby-Doo style. Oh yeah, he's blind as a bat, basically. Yeah. yeah, so basically that's how that episode ends, and it's pretty sad, but again, it's one that everyone knows about. Um, yeah, like, I've seen it parodied a lot. I think Futurama did it really nicely. Yeah, the Futurama one and, is probably the yeah, best. Yeah, like, you know, where it's, like, I think, I think when they were doing that, they were just like, you know, it's not too bad, you know, he could have done all this other stuff, and, and they actually made it worse for that iteration of the character yeah so his eyes but uh let's let's go to the next episode which is one that actually scared tiff the first time she saw it which was nightmare at twenty thousand feet starring the great william shatner in this episode oh yeah it was one of his earliest roles if i'm correct yeah is that why it scared you no it's not because (laughs) he's just so young oh god oh god this isn't right but um what essentially happens is this guy goes on an airplane flight and he's a little nervous flying through the whole thing um but what essentially is is he starts seeing something on the wing of the ship and he's a silhouette of something ripping at the wing and he starts getting nervous about it but every time he tries to notify people that it's happening he looks back and there's nothing there so well ben he's not just like he's not just nervous about it like he's literally returning from like a sanitarium like you know a mental hospital and this is his first plane ride 
Well, yeah. So like, the fact, like, it only builds up that he's, like, you know, crazy against him. Like, that's the main thing here. Yeah, well, so yeah, that's, that's the obvious... That's the obvious parallel. Do we think he's actually seeing this stuff, or is he just crazy? So... A bit of a catch-22 for him there. Yeah. yeah. But and we get... basically, this gremlin that's on the wing is essentially starting to tear this thing apart, and he's starting to debate, basically... If no one will help him, how can he take care of the situation? And let's actually talk about this little uh, gremlin that he sees. That's what he refers to it as. Um, when we first get a good look at this thing, what it looks to me like is a big-lipped Monchichi, if you've ever seen those toys from the 80s. It looks which like are a these... flattened version for the face of like the pig is from Eye of the Beholder. That's probably what it was, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, it looks yeah a lot like a stereotypical like uh, airplane gremlin. From what I could see. Oh, yes, you're familiar with airplane gremlins enough to say what they look like. Could you imagine? What the fuck? I mean, I mean, cartoons, you know? Jeez, dude. Could you imagine <laughs> if this was what the movie Gremlins had in them instead of the little gr- actual gremlins from the movie Gremlins running around? It was a bunch of these things. Oh, the, oh, the actual gremlins. Okay, alright, fine. As opposed to? Yeah. As opposed to, like, like, like Chuck Jones gremlins from Looney Tunes or anything like that. Oh, uh, whatever. But anyways, uh, so anyways, the, at the end, he basically goes crazy to the point where he actually releases the safety hatch on the door and also is have half of his body holding out of the airplane, which gravity alone should have sucked him out and a bunch of other people along with that. Luckily, they managed to survive the crash the plane ironically um basically with him being taken away him taking away from it with uh, an emergency ambulance and it shows the wreckage of the plane and the last thing we see is three like a three giant claw marks on the one of the wings i mean have claws whatever yeah it's i mean like he did say yeah he saved all those people but he doomed himself yeah He did it for the good of humanity, I would like to say. I also, to not die, I imagine. Yeah. But that part where he actually, like, got flung halfway out of the airplane is what scared Tiff, apparently. Yeah, like, see, I, because I am familiar with in media, usually when you open up a door to a plane, logic kind of kicks in. And then the door to the plane opens and it's basically like a wind turbine. You get sucked out of it. And that's what I thought immediately was going to happen. Because I actually have, like, a big fear of, like, something happening while I'm on a plane and I just basically get sucked out of the side of it. So that's just, like, a personal thing of mine to sing. And I was just like, oh, no, oh, God. This is yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, but it's the 60s. Do you really, they, they wouldn't have had the budget for that. I mean, most of the time this show didn't have the budget to do most of the things they wanted to do. So yeah. I guess that's, you know, good on my part because I was like, I'm not ready to see this. And then William Shatner went on to be Captain Kirk and still saw a gremlin outside of the Starship Enterprise. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha ha. Okay, um, but let's get on to the next episode, The Mask. Now, this is a fifth season episode, but basically what it is is an old dying man like invites his whole family to his rich mansion because, of course, he's an old man in a TV show. He has to have money. Um, and basically, he br- all of his family doesn't even really like the guy. Uh, in fact, they kind of just want him to be gone as soon as possible just so they can get his money. Um, but for one last night, he basically says, well, you have to, uh, if you want my money, you have to abide by certain rules. And that is to wear these masks for the rest of the night, which are these things that look like a mix. One, he's wearing a skull, obviously, to symbolize death. And the others are wearing, like, these weird, ugly, again, pig-like masks. Rut certainly had an obsession with pig faces, <laughs> now that I think about it. Um... But, it's a reflection of humanity, that's why. Exactly. You know, our greed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what essentially happens is, throughout the night, they're basically... Uh, he's getting on to every single one of them for how terrible they are as human beings. And by the end of the episode, when he finally dies, all of the people take off their mask, and they find out that the masks have made their actual faces look like the masks. Yeah, and it's basically each mask kind of symbolizes the individual personality of the, of the person that wears them and kind of their own individual vices and flaws. But he basically starts out as saying like, oh, this is the opposite of what you are because you're playing pretend. And then basically before he dies, he's basically like, no, fuck you actually. And then he dies. Yeah. 
Um, so the next episode is Nick of Time. And Nick of Time, people will probably know this episode for one little device in particular, which is this little diner fortune-telling machine that only costs, like, I think a penny for your, a penny or a nickel or something. Um, and it's like this little tiny metal tin looking device with a little bobble head of a devil's head on top of it winking at you. Um, and what it is, is this couple goes into this diner and basically just has fun with the machine for once while they're getting food. Um, and it gives them a fortune, but then they start getting fortunes of bad things and not having to be able to trust each other from their fortunes when they start realizing some of these fortunes are coming true, ironically. Oh no, it's the evil fortune cookie episode. Yes. (laughs) Done a billion times now. It wasn't as done, you know, so frequently back in the 50s. Yeah, this is probably what started it now, now that I know this episode exists. This is what I have to blame for all those episodes. (laughs) You mean contribute? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, but essentially, these they start panicking and start losing all of their stuff. And they literally start losing their money when they actually start giving their money away to this little device just to know what will happen next in their life to the point where they go crazy. And that's essentially the end of the episode. And so we see a new couple walk in uh, to actually use the device. And basically, it's just going to show that the whole thing is going to keep going on a loop for different people. Yeah, so it's basically like you can't really try to predict the future, otherwise you're just going to get stuck in the same place continually. You should just try to take each moment as it comes and just, you know, enjoy life. Yeah. Okay. Uh, pause it. Oh. What? Oh, okay. Okay, so our next episode is Living Doll, and basically this is probably the precursor to a lot of living doll horror movies like Chucky and stuff like that. But this is actually quite simple because all it is 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 a quintessentially this little doll that this girl gets from her mother and it's very nice. It very it it just talks. It can talk, which is probably a really expensive doll for back in the day. Actually, I think they've mentioned it at some point. Um, but basically we get introduced to her dad, which is kind of this mean, cruel guy. I don't think it's actually her dad. I believe it's her stepdad. Borderline abusive, actually. Yeah, it's her stepdad, I believe. Um, he's basically a huge dick, essentially. Yeah, yeah, because he even admits that when he married the wife that he didn't even know really about the girl until it it was married, which I don't know how you don't realize that off the bat, but whatever. You're walking down the aisle. Oh, who is that little girl? Actually, that's my daughter. Wait, what? What? Uh, but anyways, he doesn't like the doll. But at first, it's just, you know, it's he thinks it's a waste of money. But then he starts actually getting more frustrated with it when it actually starts threatening him. At first, this talking Tina doll, all it is, it's just saying obvious stuff. Like, I love you. I'm your friend. Heidi? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I'm your friend till the end. <laughs> we toy see everything. Yeah, totally not yeah. creepy or anything. But basically it starts to wreak havoc on this guy's life as it starts to become more and more threatening. It starts saying things like, I don't like you very much or I'm going to kill you. Mm. And, you know, he starts getting more and more freaked out. He tries to figure out, you know, how do I kill this doll? How do I get rid of this thing? Each time he tries to dispose of it, it basically comes back for more. Yeah, uh, he tries to just... He, first of all, he first just tries to throw it in the trash, but then it gets back into the daughter's like bedroom, just sleeping with her. Um, and then he tries to actually put it up against... Uh, what's the thing you... Uh, like uh, that wood, wood workshop device that's on like everything that you hold stuff thing in place with? I know what you're talking about, but I don't what? know the name. Yeah, like you put something in it, like you tighten the thing. Anyways, he tries to remove the thing's head, and it breaks. It actually breaks his buzzsaw tool that he tries, or a saw that he tries to um, uh, saw it to, to death and half with, and it doesn't work. It actually breaks it. Um, because and and so essentially, he'll um. He goes obsessive with to the point where he's like, "Forget it. Uh, the doll's won. Just let it, just let it be friends with his daughter. It doesn't matter." And anyways, after 
after the next day, he hears something at night in his bed, and he goes to go check it. And when he goes down the stairs, he trips over something, falls to the ground, and breaks his neck and dies. And what was that thing he tripped on? Talking Tina. Definitely one of the simpler episodes, you know, more to the point. Yeah, basically don't fuck with Tina is the moral of the episode. Yeah, it's it's besides, there's always episodes from this series talking about living objects. I mean, the dummy and stuff like that, or uh, the one where a guy's afraid of machines and stuff like that. But Kind of tapping into, essentially, you know, the horror of, like, something around you being alive that isn't. And kind of how do we deal with the scenario of trying to treat that? Like, is it human? Do we treat it at the same level of being human? There's quite a number of episodes in the series that discuss that element. Yeah, there's basically something for everybody in this series. If you're not a fan of aliens, don't worry. There's plenty of episodes that also give other moral dilemmas. Yeah, and a lot of them are very human, too. It's not just simply always just going to be like a horror element. A lot of them are very human, and a lot of them are very basically you know, holding up a candle to political subjects. Yeah. So, essentially, we could go on for general basic episodes, but let's actually get in specifically more with some of our favorite episodes. And I think we'll each give our favorite top five. And if we're some that we've already discussed, we'll just go to the next one. But let's start with my first five. At number five, I have The Night of the Meek. And this was the the series' Christmas episode. And, my God, is it one of the best Christmas episodes of just anything? The people, I think people should watch this on every December, along with other Christmas stuff, because it is so heartwarming, for especially just for a Twilight Zone episode. Guys? Pause it. In my personal opinion, my favorite of the five is... Yeah, Night of the Meek was also, uh, that was my number five as well. I quite enjoyed that uh, episode. It's a really charming episode. Anyone should watch it. Um, For my number four, I picked A Game of Pool, which is also another one where it's a simple uh, concept in, like, only one area of, like, this only takes place in one room in the entire episode, uh, which is a pool hall, and basically a guy uh, challenges a dead uh, champion pool player uh, to be yeah to be the best essentially and he basically trained his whole life to beat have the chance to beat him and when he finally gets the game throughout it the ghost is trying to tell him wouldn't you rather go out and enjoy life but this guy is so obsessed at being the best that uh he finally realizes at the end that yeah to get the best it's not all it's cracked up to be because he dies from over exhaustion and then after beating him and then becomes the new best and has to accept every challenge of anyone who wants to beat the next best yeah and like basically every single time that somebody challenges him he's basically like now i have to just keep doing this until the end of time because it's comparing yourself to others and essentially glossing over you know it's not so much always about being the absolute best at something but rather just enjoying the skills in which you have gained and just enjoying it for the ability or the sport alone. Yeah, I think they actually had an alternate uh, ending to that where he did lose, and he was just like, had you had lost, you would wander the plains forever, ch- like, challenging everyone who wanted to challenge you. But, uh, yeah. Same same lesson learned, I think. Yeah. But um, my number three is another a heartwarming one. You're actually going to notice this a lot on my list, that I actually pick some of the more, like, heartwarming ones, because I actually think those are some of the best episodes, just in terms of story-wise. Um, my number three is Kick the Can, and this is a very charming episode. Essentially what it is is this old man that lives at this retirement home uh, starts likes watching the little kids play kick the can out in this front yard. This was back in the day before you kids had your Vigima games. <laughs> your damn cell phones always texting. Yeah, where kids played outside. Um, but anyway... They still play outside! Can you guys stop being old for a second? <laughs> yeah, but anyways... Um, he starts having fond memories of when he was a little kid... Um, playing with his friends. His actually, his friend is also an old man who lives at this retirement home. And basically, he's the old, his friend is basically like, "Our time is over. Just like go to bed. Uh, just live. Just realize how old you are." And this guy, he has reasonings to want this sort of like young life again because there's the early part in the episode where his uh, 
uh, son comes to looks as if it looks like he's going to pick him up and actually like bring him back to home from this retirement home so he doesn't have to live there anymore just to find out that his son just came by to say he can't see him anymore because he's moved on and it's very sad but essentially what happens throughout it he starts getting all the old people to start doing uh, games out in the yard again beyond the owner of the uh, establishments uh uh, orders to keep them on a curfew. So what they do is, by the end of the episode, they turn to little kids, all except his best friend, who didn't, who was still following the rules and stuff like that. And he is, then feels sad that he didn't get to go with them when they turn back into kids and run into the forest. In fact, his friend doesn't even recognize the original guy. Doesn't even recognize him anymore when he becomes a kid and he's still an the friend's still an old man it's a really it's a really heartwarming but also sad episode and i really like it but well you know it's you're only as old as you feel like that's the moral and it's like i think it was really nicely executed in this episode like we really we feel bad for him at the same time because like not only not only did he miss the chance to be young again, but now he's uh now he's old and he doesn't have anyone to complain to or even sit yeah. with. He re- like he's abandoned by everybody. Yeah. Okay. Well, my number two is another interesting episode: Five Characters in Search of ah, an yes. Exit. And this is actually the first episode I introduced you to this series, uh, Tiff. With oh yeah, I quite yeah. liked it actually. Kind of the mystery behind it. It's a really good way to get into the series. Um, the good thing about the Twilight Zone is you don't really have to watch these in linear order because it's episodic based. So if you really want a good place to start off, I think that this is a really good place to get a feel for what the TV show is like. Yeah, essentially it's another one of those. It's a simple concept with a great enough twist that leaves you like thinking constantly. And it's essentially this guy falls into this hole and it's literally just a circular room. And essentially he's a general who doesn't even know what his name was or who he is or what he what happened in his life at all and essentially he's met by these four other characters a clown a ballerina a a bagpiper and a hobo And, and they all have the same problem they don't know who they are and they don't know what to do and where they are and how they got there they're basically all just blank slates um which leads to the and then the whole episode, they try to escape from this hole in the ground. And when they find out, uh, find a way to finally get out of the hole with the sergeant actually falling out of the outside of the hole area, we finally find out that it has one of the most interesting twists that you would never even have probably saw coming in a degree. And I'm not going to spoil it because I genuinely think people should watch this with uh, open eyes for the first time because the twist hits you. Yeah, and I think that it kind of caters to it, but it still has a certain element of kind of, you know, the heartwarming aspect that comes into a lot of the episodes in, in this series where... It kind of makes you sit down and think about kind of the human element behind the characters. And even though it takes place within this mystery horror realm, it still kind of brings back that human element of who we really are and kind of their place in society. So I do think that it kind of yeah. has a bit of the best of all the different aspects of the show. Yeah. And now for my number one, which is definitely my top favorite i will always enjoy watching this and i will always tear up when watching this episode because it gets to me every time uh what are you on about uh you know just here we go oh man essentially my number one is walking distance and to a lot of people this is actually who've actually seen this show is actually one of their top episodes as well because this generally is probably one of the most heartwarming things is someone will ever watch from this show. It's not. It's nothing really that out of the blue. It's nothing really alien or scary. In fact, it's it's just a mere guy who basically drives down a road to from a meeting that he's like a guy who works in the city and essentially he goes to this old place that down the road is where he used to live and um, he starts realizing that when he walks down there he starts every starting starts seeming familiar but in a weird uh, past way like he's in an ice cream shop and the ice cream was only 10 cents as opposed to like a dollar or something to their equivalent back in the day um 
and people he thought were dead uh, are old enough to be dead are still alive and he starts realizing that he's gone back to his old neighborhood from when he was a ch- in the time of when he was a child um, and to the point where he starts enjoying it because it's simple and easy going and he actually finds out that his littler young self from the past is still living there because he's flown back in time um, and he tries to recreate and talk to his old young self just to get that feeling of like genuineness again. Um, but in the in the plot of getting to there, he screws up because what he essentially does is chase this kid down, with, and this kid's probably afraid of the biggest stranger danger ever to the point where it ends up uh him chasing him to a carousel where the kid trips on the carousel and it hurts his leg to the point where he leaves his older stuff with a stiff leg bum leg at the end and at the end essentially the father of the kid and his dad technically when he's what at his age that he would have been when he was a kid um actually comes up to him and talks to him about him and finds out that he's the that it's his son from the future and basically gives him a lecture on let this kid have his summer. You've had this summer and it le- it's one of the heartwarming scenes from the whole show. And I still enjoy it to this yeah, day. And I think that, you know, you have all the reason for thinking that it's very sentimental and, it, you know, reaches to you personally because of kind of this general human element, especially I think it resonates even better today that a lot of us want to go back to when we were kids and have, you know, those early memories that we had. But as people get older, they have to kind of let this go and basically make new memories for themselves. And I think that that's something that still holds I, up today. I mean, yeah, like, what would every, what would anyone really trade for just one more day? I can see why you like that episode. You know, you might want to consider putting that, like, in a paper someday for how much you've talked about <laughs> Tiff, do you wanna Tiff, do you wanna do yours next? Yeah, I'll go right ahead. All right. I'll keep mine pretty short, but a lot of the ones that I really like are usually ones that deal with kind of either the human aspect or I like a lot of the ones that deal with kind of the more political sides of things because I think that's one of Rod Serling's biggest strong suits was using the horror element to kind of gloss over a lot of you know the turbulent '60s and what was going on during his time period because a lot of this stuff can still be taken today. Um, as well as just the general twists are really interesting. So for number five, I have a Pitch for the Angels. And in Pitch for the Angels, a quick summary is about this man who essentially is a salesman on the street, not doing too well, but he absolutely loves the kids and he's an actually really decent person. Um, he finds out one day that this kind of government agent comes to him and reveals that he's basically another than death himself. Yeah, which and, actually wouldn't be the first time that this series would uh, go with that uh, story of uh, the death uh, talking to its victim. Exactly. So basically, death comes and he's just like, hey, today's your last day. Pack up your stuff. Let's go. And he was just like, wait, I, I don't want to go just yet. Like, I haven't done all the things I want to. I still have these kids to look after. And he was just like, you, you don't really get a say in this matter. After trying to evade him, basically, he decides, okay, well, since I can't take you, uh, little girl, you're basically coming with me. So then he freaks out and he's just like, oh, now I have to right my wrongs. And basically the episode ends that his thing that he's never got to do is a pitch for the angels as a business seller and manages to sell everything that he has in his briefcase in order to stall time so that he doesn't go and take the girl when she's scheduled to leave, yeah, when it, making him miss the trip. Yeah, when it's when it's referring to pitch for the angels, it's a business pitch. It's not a angels in the outfield type situation. God, I wish. <laughs> I mean, that could have been as equally as interesting, I think. But basically, I think that it has a really good story element to it. And then he was revealed at the end that he's basically going to heaven. So it's kind of like, you know, a good moralistic story with also the kind of the story of you can't quite escape death, but you can kind of go out in honor. So I think that's a good lesson to take away. Uh, for yeah. number four, um, the episode that I think resonated really well was uh, Icing the Body Electric. And Icing the Body Electric is basically kind of these four girls... Was it three or four? I think it was three kids. One of them was a boy. Yeah, it was uh, these three kids, basically. And they don't really have a mother figure in the household, so they decide to actually go out and buy a model prototype of the ultimate mother. And so they go to this store that essentially sells all these different models called Dicing the Body Electric. 
And so they managed to find the perfect model, this very nice, you know, motherly nanny woman, essentially, that's actually an android. And so one of the girls obviously doesn't trust her, and she's just like, no, like, you'll never, like, be the full replacement of my mother. You'll never, you know, take care of me as well as she did, until eventually she manages to save her in a car accident. So, um, basically, the other girls learn to lear- love her. They basically learn that, you know, it doesn't matter whether she's real or she's fake, you know, that's somebody that's looking out for you, that is willing to take care of you, and that's, you know, the most important thing of all. So, I think that... Once again, it's another more human episode from The Twilight Zone that kind of still has the eeriness to it because it's something so, you know, out, out there science fiction-y, but it still brings back kind of, you know, the moralistic lessons that it tries to uphold. Uh, for number three, I have I Am The Night Color Me Black, and this is one of the more political episodes. Uh, basically, this man is on trial for hanging. And basically, a part of his hanging was due to a crime that happened in the city that he's in guilty for. But part of the reason why they're hanging him is because of his race. He's African American. And so, to kind of sum her up quick, by the end of the episode, you know, he's finally held on sentence for hanging while this basically pitch blackness is going over the whole city and everyone's bewildered. It's like, this has never happened before. What's going on? We are not really sure. And so, you know, they're warning them, like, hey, maybe we should address this problem, and people aren't really going over it because of the thing with the trial. And then finally, you know, once the man is finally hanged, it starts to get darker, and you hear on the newscast that other parts of the world are getting darker in places full of hatred, such as Birmingham, Shanghai, different types of places where major trials during the 60s were going on, and a lot of people disagreed with Uh, It's pretty, yeah, it's a, it wouldn't be the only episode that actually dwelled into racial tensions, but this episode in particular probably was the most famous one for doing so, specifically actually bringing up the race matter without actually it being a cover, like, with using a cover-up for, like, say, aliens or other type of robots or something as the replacement for an actual race of human being. This was the first one to literally say, yeah, this is talking about the relations between whites and blacks at the time. Yeah, and it's basically trying to kind of hold a candle to it respectfully, while also trying to make its point very clear, which I appreciate. Yeah. Uh, for number two, I have um, a stop at Willoughby. Next stop, stop, Willoughby. Willoughby, yeah, basically a stop at Willoughby is essentially about this man who's getting, getting tired of his life, and, you know, he's always just, you know ordered around to push, 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 push down the line. Oh, yeah. And basically try to fight to, you know, be the best businessman, be the best at this. Like, you have to contribute. Like, he just wants to take things slower and enjoy life and, you know, let the days pass by with the kind of world that he lives in doesn't allow him to do that. And every night when he goes home on the train and falls asleep, he notices that he he ends up at this stop called Willoughby, which is one of those, like, basically really like slow like southern 1950s towns think something out of like the andy griffith show and so he keeps debating as to whether or not he should get off at the stop or not and spoilers once again for a 50 year old tv show um or 50 plus basically um when he finally decides to get off at the stop at willoughby um he's revealed that he basically committed suicide yeah the actual funeral home is willoughby it's a it's pretty funny but i'm actually curious i wonder if this guy and the guy from walking distance ever met each other because they seem they like they would get along pretty well yeah so i think that you know it's moralistic but it does it in a much darker tone because a lot of ones we've mentioned have been you know like sweet and heartwarming in the end Uh, no this takes like the complete and opposite turn and tries to be like hey Sometimes, you know, this isn't always the best idea. Uh, yes, the you. Twilight Zone, anything goes. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, the last one that's my favorite is The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. This is probably one of the most famous episodes that the Twilight um, Zone has released. It was nominated for multiple awards. Um, the Monsters to Do on Maple Street is basically holding a candle up to McCarthyism, which is a really hot subject at the time, and basically uses kind of the element of aliens in the space race to kind of bring in those you know points about mccarthyism and kind of the controversial nature of it and so essentially you know one day this you know lovely 1950s style town you know can we can we pause sure 
And I would say that for my number one favorite, uh, my all-time favorite episode from this series would be the Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. It's one of the best-known episodes from the series. Uh, basically, it's covering over the subject of McCarthyism that was going on during the 60s when the show was airing. And so the Monsters Are Due on Maple Street brings up this, you know, old 1950s, 60s style suburban like neighborhood and one day all the power goes out you know there's nothing running car engines aren't working you know nobody really has a solution for what's going on in the neighborhood and so um one of the boys in the town basically suspects that it might be an alien and at first they're like oh that's crazy but then you know they start noticing smaller trends and they start you know thinking like what if this is something that's beyond our control and you know people that are like oh i'm gonna go out of town and see if i can find help they're like well what are you actually planning like who are you going with? Where are you going? What have you been up to? And so basically, um, they start to kind of inspect each other and try to investigate what's going on. And they start pointing fingers that this is your fault. This is your fault. And basically, they all start panicking by the end of the episode. And they start running around the town and start assuming that everyone's a culprit. And from the distance, you can kind of see these two aliens watching over each other that are just like, oh, don't worry. We don't even have to do anything they'll just take care of each other and we'll go on to the next town and the next town and this will continue to happen so it's kind of holding up the candle to like if you don't deal with the problems in mccarthyism if you don't try to solve the situation this is what's going to happen to you yeah it's a real yeah it's again probably one of the most obvious in terms of political talk on for a episode of this series um, so let's get into Hope's number five, which she actually has a lot of ones we've already talked about, so this should go pretty quick. Oh yeah, boy, like, you guys really, uh, hammered everything else home there, pretty much, but, um, yeah, Night of the Meek, Eye of the Beholder, those two I really liked because of the, uh, character performances, like, the despair in that woman's voice beneath her bandages, like, you know, it was enough for me to stay invested for the whole while. Kick the Can also was just like, I really liked it because it was a nice kick in the shin for, like, the protagonist, like, the protagonist's friend, rather, that, like, you know, ha, you missed out on your chance, you know, just because you wanted to cling so desperately to the idea that, like, you're, like, you're old and things are over for you. Good lesson yeah. learned there. Monsters Aren't Due on Maple Street. I actually, I actually, my teacher read that to me when I was in uh, middle school. Oh, very And, like, you know, being, yeah, being in, like, fifth grade, you know, I think it was, like, a comic or something that she read it to me from. Um, that And, like, you know, it was pretty profound. I was just like, oh, man, you know, really shouldn't hate each other, you know, as, I mean, like, because I was, like, just starting to form an opinion on what sort of, like, a hate could do like that, you know, back then. But, like, seeing that given to me at a really young age helped hammer that home for me. Um, and my number one, if I had to pick one, would have to be Perchance to Dream. The episode where the guy goes to the doctor and he says, Doctor, help me, I'm so anxious, if I fall asleep I just might die. And it's the whole episode describing describing things like the visions he's seeing of a woman who's there but he's not sure of who she is. And I'm not going to spoil the end and reveal everything about this episode right off the bat, but definitely um, it's one of the ones that caught my attention. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's one of those, it almost seems like it's going in one direction through the whole thing until... Well, do you want to, do you want to spoil it then? Because I don't know. No, I, no, I'm I'm not going to spoil it again. This, All right. We're, we're trying to promote this as best we can because essentially there's a lot of episodes that really need to be watched with a blind eye the first time for it to really oh. hit you hard yeah, like, oh i agree really, really yeah solid contenders in this series for like what's the best what's the worst like you know there's a lot of just general gems in here and it's been lampshaded so much in you know pop culture to the point where even if you're not familiar with watching the episode you've seen the elements from it before in other series yeah um essentially no matter what, this series will probably be stay relevant for quite a while. I mean, there's there's shows like this that have developed over time through the inspiration of the Twilight Zone. I mean, we're talking about Tales of the Crypt, even stuff like modern stuff like uh, Black Mirror. Like they they wouldn't probably even be on TV if it weren't for Twilight Zone make getting its way onto television. Uh, from the very beginning i mean this yeah you is, know yeah this paving is, the way for future surreal uh horrors 
series. This series, it's two revivals it had, especially its 80s one, which maybe will be a later episode for a later time. And also it had a movie as well that we might discuss on the horror podcast maybe one day in the future. But again, if you're ever like wanting to just sit down for some short bit um, enjoyable like uh, stuff that's just weird and out there but can really also tell you something in the process you need to sit down and just watch this and luckily enough you can get this a lot of this stuff very conveniently nowadays if you have Netflix you can watch every season except for season 4 which were the hour long episodes I don't know why they don't have it on Netflix it's probably a licensing rights thing I'm not sure but a you, lot of people also usually don't have a very good opinion of season four, so that's probably why they're trying to keep them out of the radar. Uh, true, but there are still a couple of good ones from season four that are actually pretty great. Um, but again, that's available on Netflix. Um, if you go on to CBS's website, I'm pretty sure you can watch all of them on their site because I've actually seen it advertised like that. I don't know if you have to sign up for something or they're just on there. But if you actually want to buy these, you can get an entire Blu-ray set on Amazon of this show or at your probably local Best Buy or somewhere very easily. Um, And aside from that, um, I think we basically got it covered. Uh, Thank you guys for watching this show. It's been a pleasure talking about this. It's one of my favorite shows of all time, and it's a good way to start off this TV podcast Yeah, it's a real gem to be able to talk about this more in detail and kind of recognize it for what it's done and some of the best episodes that have come out of the series. Yeah, it's really stood the test of time, you know, in that it's, like, gotten three remakes uh, down the line, each each that has its varying degree of success. But um, I I enjoyed the uh, early episodes. Yeah, Um, but anyways, if you guys are thinking, hearing of any of the episodes we covered on this show and thought, well, maybe, maybe not, don't even just sum it down to the episodes we talked about. There are so many we didn't have time to cover that we wish we could have. I mean, there's a bunch. Just look up the Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up, It's a Good Life, The Obsolete Man, The Dummy, Number 12 Looks Like You, 22, 2. He likes the number 2 a lot. Uh, But I think for today, that about wraps it up. Yeah, again, it's something that everyone needs to see a few episodes of because it's so enjoyable. Uh, So anyways, I think that covers it. So I thank you guys for having this podcast with me today. Um, Be sure to check out our Patreon as well, as well as our YouTube channel and our SoundCloud for more information. Links in the description below. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, see you guys, and we'll continue on tomorrow with our general movie podcast where we talk about Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Ooh, that should be fun. Yes. All right. Well, I guess this is our goodbyes from you. Yes, it is. We're leaving. Yes. (laughs) All right. See you guys, and have fun in the Twilight Zone. Bye. Do, 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 do.